Greetings, everybody out there. Dreamland. Namaste and salam alaikum. Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend. Thank you all very much for tuning into the broadcast of the Beyond a Top Secret Texan. I am the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I am broadcasting to you from the third coast, the Gulf Coast, the coast of most. It's my pride and privilege to be doing so. The Gulf Coast of Texas. We're going to be talking about the local cold cases yes cold cases and some coffee these are the cold cases of Corpus Christi Texas unsolved murders for the series true crime in Texas that I'm doing covered Portland I covered Port Aransas this is Corpus Christi Texas. Corpus Christi, Texas is a city of over 300,000 people currently. It is an industrial hub or an industrial, industrially dominated uh, region, metropolis community, city, and over 400 square miles of area, the Corpus Christi, Nueces County city area, is mostly underwater. It's mostly covered in bay, marsh, creek, etc., wetland, with communities centering in the Corpus Christi city proper area. And stretching from Mustang Island to the south. The islands, I guess the southeast islands, all the way to Cal Allen and Annaville communities in the northwest. It includes Oso Bay and the Nueces River, as well as the Laguna Madre, one of the largest tidally locked lagunas in the world. The largest employers and economic driving engine of the city undoubtedly are the refineries. Everything from petro oil, petroleum refineries to plastics to aluminum. Then there is the port it is the 13th largest port in America. It is in the top 20, and it is absolutely uh, one of the more active and, and larger staging areas in the Gulf of Mexico. Then there is the... NAS Corpus Christi, the Naval Air Station Corpus Christi, which is a large employer, a major employer in the area, as well as gives a military feel to the town's coastal areas of Flower Bluff, which used to be its own city proper, but now is part of the Corpus Christi community, Flower Bluff, with aircraft training aircraft mostly, but also jets, electronic warfare platforms, and various military 
helicopters flying over the city regularly. In fact, every night on the Bayfront, you can count as training aircraft return to the base over the University of Corpus Christi A&M. All of this is located in a very beautiful climate that ranges on too hot for comfort for most of the year. Triple digits extending for several months. While also being subject to some very severe cold snaps. Although in no way proportional to any northern territories. But I think we all remember the cold snap of 2021, where it was as low as 19 degrees Fahrenheit, with the power out for four to five days for some people. Formidable winters, unlike, say, Hawaii or Southern California, are just part of the package. In fact, it's a land of extremes, suffering sometimes extreme droughts, coupled with these heat waves and these hot southern winds, as well as extreme storms. Sometimes extreme enough to be considered some of the deadliest storms on record, such as the 1919 hurricane. Before we get into the cold cases, here are some here are some facts just to warm you up to the idea of what is Corpus Christi. I know it's it's not a small town by any standards. It's a city, yes. And anywhere else it would be considered a major city. But in Texas, because we have four of the ten largest cities in America, and we have the fourth and the eighth largest city, um, Houston and Dallas, respectively, it's in their shadow. It's also in the shadow of San Antonio, which is the regional South Texas capital as terms of culture, infrastructure, economy, population, etc. But without San Antonio, we would clearly be uh, the jewel of South Texas. In fact, we are the jewel of the Gulf Coast. Um, but even then, people argue that either Port Isabel down South Padre Island way near the border between Mexico or Galveston are actually far more famous but they want to keep it obscure that's how they like it and those in charge of Corpus Christi this is for this is for work this is for business this is a city to get things done this isn't a city yes we have tourists we have the tourist industry but everyone here is working for a living Corpus Christi was founded by in 1519, 1519 by a Spanish explorer 
on the Roman Catholic feast day of Corpus Christi and named it after the holiday. Corpus Christi translates to the body of Christ and is the only city in Texas with a Latin name. It's not Spanish, it's Latin. Pop legend Selena, queen of Tejano music, was born, raised, and suffered a tragic death in Corpus Christi. Selena Museum pays tribute to the iconic singer and a bronze statue of Selena looks out over Corpus Christi Bay at the downtown sea wall. Pop star Selena Gomez was named after the Corpus Christi's Selena, as well as the major motion picture catapulting Jennifer Lopez into stardom. Also starring Edward James Olmos as the father. It's a good movie. You should get watched it out. Selena. Eight. The most destructive storm the city has ever seen was in September 1919. The death toll was between 600 and 1,000 people, and only three structures in the entire community survived, making it the fourth deadliest hurricane of the 20th century. Seven. The total area of Corpus Christi is 460.2 square miles, but nearly three-fourths the land is covered by water of some kind. Six. The USS Lexington Museum located on North Shore in Oso Bay, served as the set for Bay's 2000 film blockbuster Pearl Harbor. 5. In 1554, three Spanish ships wrecked on the shores of the Padre Island seashore. Approximately 300 survivors were aboard the ships. Those that made it to shore encountered violent Native Americans... And only one person, Fray Marcos de Mina, survived to tell the tale in an autobiography. Four, due to the high wind speeds, Corpus Christi is one of the best cities in North America for kiteboarding, wind surfing, kite flying, and sailing. The city has even hosted the Wind Surfing World Championships. It has also drawn the interest of the wind energy industry, which is proving to be somewhat controversial. Friends of Padre Island organized the annual Big Shell Beach Cleanup. Since 1995, volunteers have removed over 2,456,000 pounds of trash from Codger Island National Seashore. Bravo Zulu, guys. Number two. Whataburger was founded in Corpus Christi and spread across Texas like wildfire. The original story location is still open today, serving juicy burgers at 121 Shoreline Boulevard in downtown Corpus Christi. One, Corpus Christi boasts 192 square miles of shoreline. The beaches were well worth a visit, as most are undeveloped and kept natural. And that's 100% the case. So now that you're familiar with the city itself, let's talk about 
some fucked up shit that's happened here. Shit that's never been solved. We'll get with the oldest, the first. I'll try to do this in chronological order, but forgive me if one or two are out of date. Or out of place. The man in cement. Boredom is the eternal curse of the fisherman. Standing in the surf of Mustang Island, he looks for variety wherever he can and find it. Noting minute shifts in the tide, the direction of the current, the timing of the waves. Occasionally, the monotony is broken by a piece of flotsam floating far out. He watches the waves prod it landward, and his imagination plays over the shape. Driftward, remnants of a sunken ship. On June 6, 1972, it was neither. By the time the unknown object reached shallow water, it began to assume the identity of a man. A man wrapped in chains, with his hands tied behind his back and a cement block around his neck. The victim of the gangland-style slang was Randy Farenhold, a 32-year-old Corpus Christi playboy euphemistically described as a quote-unquote sportsman in press accounts. He had been beaten to death early in the morning of June 4th, only a few short hours after his stepmother, Sissy, had lost her first bid for the Democratic gubernatorial nomination to Dolph Briscoe. Possible motives for the crime were numerous. Robbery certainly had to be considered. There was no money on the corpse, but there was an expensive waterproof wristwatch. It was still working on Fahrenheit who was known to gamble for high stakes, might have been killed because he failed to cover his losses. But he had a good reputation for paying his gambling debts, according to friends. A third possibility caught the attention of the FBI, which entered the case to investigate a possible obstruction of justice. Farenthold had filed a complaint against four men subsequently indicted for a conspiracy to defraud him of over $100,000. The indictment alleges that four men, two from Corpus Christi, two from Louisville, Kentucky, arranged for Randy to buy mafia skim money at a discount. The transaction, according to the indictment, was to have taken place in a Houston motel room. But just as the exchange was about to begin, the group was held up and robbed by a menacing man brandishing a shotgun. Too late, Farenthold decided that he had been conned and went to the police. Since the case against the men depended on his testimony, charges had to be dismissed after his death. But police believed that other parties unknown could have had a motive too. Someone who had arranged the contact, perhaps, or helped financially... Farenthold's part of the deal and didn't want his role exposed in court. Sheriff's deputies thought they were on the right track a month after the murder when they found a car with hair and traces of blood similar to Farenthold's in the trunk. Almost four years later, they are still looking for the driver. This article was written in 1976. So he was killed in 1972, and it has been completely unsolved until then.
And we may never know why he was killed, what specifically he was killed for. But this case is very, very reminiscent of a case that was from Port Aransas where that tech inventor, the engineer, the the digital engineer um, that created the text-to-text without the service, service service-to-service texting uh, from Austin, Texas, the Silicon Valley, Silicon Hills, that he had gotten into a legal dispute with his employers in New Zealand, and they put an email out saying, put a bullet in him, and then he came to Port Aransas alone for a vacation, and then was killed, or, yes, he was killed, because he was, he first he went missing, and then he washed up on the beach with bullet holes in them. So obviously he was murdered and then washed up to the beach. Um, although the they didn't want to, you know, say so much and that they were looking at a very professional job done, you know, to kill him and everything. They were very tight-lipped on details in that case. But that was modern. That was in 2011. Um... You know that shit. That, that that shit happens. That this is a place because it's a coastal town, just like Miami, just like um, you know other places, California, except Los Angeles, uh, the East Coast, Hudson River style, killing people and putting them in water, obviously with the brick, thinking that that was going to sink the body, but totally underestimating the nature of buoyancy in the ocean because of the salt content. Um, I have worked at the beaches before for the county on the county level. This is, uh, you know, in 2000, this is the 2010s. And um, I saw a fucking tractor, a caterpillar tractor wash up on the beach once. I mean, it wasn't a gigantic bulldozer, but it was a bobcat-style personal front scooper, front loader uh, type of caterpillar tractor. And it still had to weigh, like, two tons. But that motherfucker floated up on shore, and it washed right up, and we, we did our rounds as soon as the sun came up. And we did our rounds to go check if there was any shit like that, because that's what we had to do it for because there was always shit like that washing up and we got to get our tractor out and get um, you know the bulldozer out and everything hook up chains to it drag it up and then get it on the back of one of the wreckers and, and take it back to fuck or wherever but we get shit like that we would have big fucking tires big industrial tires uh, tons of metal barrels um, from the refinery from the that, that the oil refineries that are out there oil rigs that are out there uh, in the in the Gulf, as well as shit that falls off of ships. We've had shipping containers, like whole fucking those big metal shipping containers wash up and shit. Um, you know, just because something is heavy does not mean it sinks. And just because something you think would sink, like a tractor, which isn't airtight at all, it if it's anything in the water, the water is so strong, the currents are so strong that it 
just pushes it up. It just rejects it and it pushes it all up, even from the little trash to the big trash. It all comes back to the shore. And I'm not saying that this guy was inexperienced. They probably had killed many people before, but that was clearly why the body washed up is because these people underestimated that, which either says maybe they were local criminals, but maybe this is the first time they did it. But at the same time, they were forced to do it because they had to get rid of the party body and they did their best to get rid of it because it's a professional outfit. It's something with experience. It's something with forethought premeditation with some kind of talent towards it. Just by accident, by, by natural uh, circumstances that we even have the body or else he would have just gone missing and been never seen again. Eaten by sharks or some shit. But that is the case of the man in cement. Another marked cold case in Corpus Christi history. As decades old as well. Being 38 years old as of the recording of this episode. This article lays it out. Police still looking for answers in this decades-old homicide case. Today marks, at the time of this writing, 36 years since the unsolved murders of Gary and Stephanie Gillette. The case is not closed, and CCPD wants information. This was written in 2021, so it would be 2023. When recorded, it would be 38 years old currently. Corpus Christi, Texas. As this murder reaches 36 years unsolved, investigators with CCPD's homicide unit are reaching out to the community once again for information. On Sunday, December 15, 1985, officers were sent to the 4,800 block of Sweet Brian Circle. There, officers found that husband and wife, 33-year-old Gary Jean Gillette and 24-year-old Stephanie Gillette had been murdered in their home as they slept. Decades later, their loved ones, including Gary's daughter, still feel the sadness that surrounds the murder, especially because it was never solved. I was terrified to leave the house, she says. I was scared to do anything, and every time I would close my eyes, that's all I saw was my dad's face. Candace Curtis, the youngest of the Gillette's daughters, has said, I'm scared again, but instead of just being scared, I just feel like a victim. I'm mad. I want to know, Christy, the middle daughter, has said. It was the most wonderful time of the year. It was December 13, 1985. Shay, age 14, Christy, age 11, and Candace, age 9, were about to go to their father Gary and stepmother Stephanie's home to decorate. I loved going over to Dad's house, she said. Like I always got to sit and brush Stephanie's hair, and I learned how to French braid on her hair, Christy said. Candace said she's just absolutely beautiful. She was inside and out, her personality... Shay, the oldest daughter, said she hoped to go out with her friends that night, but it was her dad's turn to watch the girls. However, they got a call from Gary, the last time the daughters would hear from him. He said, hey, listen, we had some Christmas parties pop up. Don't think we're going to be able to make it tonight. We'll come to get you tomorrow. Shay recalled the conversation with her dad. 
The next day, December 14th, the daughters anxiously awaited a call from either Gary or Stephanie, but they never called. Shay, who was headed to move <coughs> to a movie in Corpus Christi with her friends, stopped by the house to see if they were home. When I noticed all the lights in the house, everybody that was with me just walked around the house and we found the garage door was wide open, Shay said. Shay said she had a clear view from the window she was looking into of the whole house, but what she didn't see was Stephanie and Gary. Shay returned home to Portland that evening. As she went over to the Harbor Bridge, a gruesome scene of blood and violence flashed through her head. Something in my stomach told me right there that something wasn't right. I mean, besides the scene itself, something wasn't right, she said. On December 15th, Shay and her mother, Debbie, went back to Corpus Christi to swing by the house off of Sweet Briar Circle near Everhart Road and Snow Goose Lane. It was a horrific scene. Cop cars, first responders, bystanders, and news vehicles swarmed Gary and Stephanie's home. They would soon learn the couple had been stabbed to death in their bedroom. Eventually, Shay and Debbie returned to Christie and Candace in Portland to deliver the news. My mom walks in like doorway of the kitchen, and she lifts her sunglasses, and her face is just like tear stains, blotchy, swollen, and I'm like, he's dead, isn't he? And she was like, yeah, and that's, I just knew, Christy said. Autopsy results report the couple had multiple stab wounds to their bodies from a knife and a hatchet. On December 17th, the beloved couple was laid to rest. The daughters, Gary's ex-wife Debbie, and family members continued to mourn the loss as police began an investigation that would last for decades. Today is the 36th anniversary of the deaths of Gary and Stephanie Gillette. Although this case remains unsolved, it is not closed and we want to give their family some closure. And because it is an active case, I'll include this information. If you know who is responsible or have any additional information about this case, please contact Detective David Perez, 361-886-2676, or Detective Eddie Alvarado, 361-886-2866. You may also call Crime Stoppers at 361-888-TIPS or submit the information online. Information you provide will always remain anonymous. If the information leads to arrest, you can earn a cash reward. An intense case, one with just a lot of a lot of sadness to it because of the daughters and the survivors, but at the same time, a lot of questions, a lot of details that need to be analyzed, obviously, to solve it. So we have this Gary Gillette, his stepwife, who is young, beautiful, and apparently very nice and, and friendly. Um, and then you also have uh, these, the the real mother, of the biological mother of the children, um, having custody of the daughters. 
them supposed to be taken in that night by the father, Gillette, Gary Gillette, and the stepmother, which they're looking for to go, so there's no sign of abuse. There's no indication that this guy was a criminal or a shady guy at all, um, you know, unless he was doing that on his own time. But the daughters had gave him a glowing character review as well as the, the stepmother, so she's not to blame, maybe causing any kind of, like, so suspicious... Suspicions aren't obvious, right? It's not obvious that it was the father's, um, you know, bad karma or her bad karma coming back to him. And then the method of, of murder, which is knife and hatchet, which is fucking brutal. At the same time, very determined. It's um, indicative of maybe some kind of experience, like a serial killer or someone who's experienced a couple killer who knows not to make noise who is doing it to try to uh, fulfill some kind of fantasy or some kind of sexual uh, thrill with the kill, like a night stalker or an East Area rapist type, someone coming into a couple's house when they're unaware, drunk, etc., killing them, maybe binding them. Uh, we don't know what kind of states their bodies were in, if they were sexually abused, etc., but even then, like, the East Area rapist would put, like, dinner plates on the husband's chest and lay him on the floor and tell him not to move, and then sexually abuse the wife, then kill them both. And and that would be either Corpus Christi's been very tight-lipped before with murders of that nature, possible motivation for this beyond it being a professional hit, maybe ordered by the biological mother who is raising the daughters because of jealousy, which is also a possibility. It could be a hit based on lovers, quarrels, jealousy, spite, you know, the, you know. <clears throat> Here are further details. On December 15th, Shay and her mother, Debbie, went back to Corpus Christi to swing by the house off of Sweet Briar Circle near Everhart Road in Snow Goose Lane. Once we rounded this corner right here, there were cars all the way. All the way probably to right around here, just packed, and I think we had to park somewhere. Right around here on this corner, we had to run, and from where we parked down here, the mother and daughter explained. It was a horrific scene. Cop cars, first responders, bystanders, and news vehicles swarmed Gary and Stephanie's home. They would soon learn that the couple had been stabbed to death in their bedroom. Eventually, Shay and Debbie returned to Christie and Candace in Portland to deliver the news. The sisters recalled reading details about the slaying and what was found at the scene. Hundreds of fingerprints were reportedly found in the house, but one always stuck out. When officials arrived on the scene, Gary's car was gone. The sister said it was eventually found blocks away from the home on Wimbledon Drive. Reports say a fingerprint was found on the rearview window, but when it was tested years later, a match didn't come up. Who could have committed such a heinous crime? The sisters say there was only one person who was suspected of the crime, a man who claimed to be a close friend of Gary's. I could not tell you what the man looked like. I don't remember him being a pallbearer at the funeral. I don't remember ever speaking to this man, Christie said. 
The sisters agreed to anyone who was a close friend of the parents was someone they would have met eventually, and they did not know who this man was. The case was thrown out due to a lack of evidence, but the sisters still have questions and doubts. I just think that this guy had jealousy overall of my dad. I think he wanted everything he had, wanted his life, Candace said. I wanted him to sit down and tell me how you can live for 34 years with that in your head. How do you not close your eyes and see that scene every single time, Christy said. In the past decades, the daughters have become advocates and investigators themselves. They want the truth. I'm going to find out who killed my dad, Candace said. The more people who get this out there too, the better the possibilities that we're going to find someone to help us out, Christy added. They have spoken personally to numerous podcasts like Gone Cold Podcast, which covers crime in Texas, and Southern Fried True Crime. They've also worked to spread awareness on the case. When 3 News, which is the article I'm reading, chose to call the man, the man declined to answer any questions. And it is because he was never officially charged that 3 News refuses to, or chooses not to name the suspect. Although they do know the name of the suspect. Another interesting detail of the case is that suspect, that close friend, has been confirmed to have been a local policeman with the Corpus Christi Police Department at that time in 1985. With news articles mentioning that a local policeman was charged with the murders. And the district attorney of Corpus Christi dropping, or Nueces County dropping the charges almost two years into the investigation due to lack of evidence. Though reporters and witnesses at the time stated that it was very strong circumstantial evidence Strong enough to keep this person as both the number one suspect of the murders as well as under a two-year investigation after having been formally charged. So he was formally charged, put under supervision. You know, the whole don't leave the county and everything will be what? You know, you have to report it and everything. You're under a criminal investigation and everything. Homicide. They're going to search your shit, going to look through your house and stuff, try to find you know all your possible possible connections to him and stuff. That was that was formal, and this person was a local policeman, a police officer, both with connections internally to things like forensics, as well as people who owed him favors, 
and people who would protect one of their own, Freemasons, etc. Now, the relationship between this man and the father is murky at best. If the daughters did not know this person as a friend of the family, either a business person or something, someone who ate dinner with them, one could only assume it was a private friend, if this person was, in fact, a friend. In 1985, these things were just like now. Men and women had affairs consensually with various people, brought them into the relationship. Swingers, bisexuals, maybe people who were just curious and wanted to get their rocks off for the night. Doesn't mean nothing, doesn't make you nothing, right? Guy has three daughters, a young new wife who's their stepmother, and he's not getting any younger. Right? So, consensual adults being consensual adults. But what can happen is things can get complicated, people can develop feelings, people can take things seriously. People can take not being called back seriously. People can think really anything. People are crazy. And especially with such heightened and intense intimacy. I mean, that's motivation and many a murder to be honest. But also, maybe he was having an affair with the wife. Maybe he was the ex of the wife. Or maybe the wife, the mother, I mean the ex-wife, the mother of the daughters... had something to do with it. We'll never know. It's all speculation. You shouldn't take it too seriously. At least not in the way of too personally. That you can't. There's forbidden or taboo speculation when it comes to murder. The idea that you cannot blame the parents for a child's disappearance because of the taboo associated with it has produced most of the unsolved child disappearances, child murders, etc. The reason why you don't want to suspect people is the reason why they get away with murder. Everyone is a suspect. Every single angle has to be investigated.
And lastly, we'll conclude with the murder of a single mother. In 1993, it has gone unsolved. And I cost more lives than just Kathleen Suckley, the 29-year-old woman who was murdered. But it ruined the lives of her children and all those that knew her. This article was written on 2015. Keep that in mind. DPS, Texas Rangers, Spotlight 1993 to Unsolved Murder. Corpus Christi, Texas. A 1993 unsolved Corpus Christi murder is the first of what will become a monthly spotlighting of unsolved cases by the Texas Department of Public Safety and the Texas Ranger Unsolved Crimes Investigation Team. And it's part of an effort to generate new investigative leads and bring added attention to unresolved or cold cases across the state, a DPS news release said Tuesday. Here is what the DPS release said about the unsolved Corpus Christi case. This month's featured case is the murder of Kathleen Suckley, 29, in Corpus Christi. On April 8, 1993, Suckley was found dead inside her apartment in the 5,000 block of Meandering Lane. She had suffered multiple stab wounds, and her two young sons were inside the home during her murder. A witness in the case described a white or Hispanic male who stood approximately 5 feet 6 inches tall with medium build and short dark hair standing near Suckley's patio door several hours prior to the murder. At the time of her death, Suckley worked at the then future firm Fitness Center in Corpus Christi and had previously worked at a restaurant at a Greyhound racetrack in 1992. Anyone with information in this case is urged to submit a tip through the Texas Rangers Cold Case website. Contact the Missing Persons Clearinghouse at 1-800-346-3243. The Texas Ranger Unsolved Crimes Investigation Team was created to assist Texas law enforcement agencies investigating unsolved murder what appear to be serial or linked criminal transactions. Since there is no statute of limitations on the offenses of murder, investigators pursue these cases to successful resolution or until no other lead is viable. After 29 years, Corpus Christi police haven't found the person who brutally stabbed a young mother to death in front of her children. On April 8, 1993, 29-year-old Kathleen Suckley was found in her meandering lane home stabbed 40 times with her throat slit, according to Texas Department of Public Safety. Suckley's two young sons were in the home at the time. Her three-year-old son, Dutch, witnessed the bloody attack. They tried to wake her up because they were hungry, Lisa Doran, Suckley's best friend, told the Caller Times. They were hungry, and the blood scared them. Her body was discovered six hours after her murder by her then-boyfriend, Stephen O'Connor, who called police.
Connor was arrested in connections with the slaying, but the case was dropped due to insufficient evidence. KIII TV reported, although members of Suckley's family and friends said details from that day were implicated Connor, he was released and never charged. Suckley was a physical trainer at the Future Firm Athletic Club in Corpus Christi. She had moved there from California with her husband the year before, just prior to their separation at the end of 1992. Soon after, she started dating Connor, who was her boss. According to KIII-TV, right before Suckley's death, she told Connor that she was moving back to California to reconcile with her husband. Suckley's death later brought further tragedy for the family when Dutch Suckley fatally overdosed on his 24th birthday, two weeks after the 20th anniversary of his mother's death. Family members said that he never got over his mother's death. He was tortured his whole life because of her death. He couldn't shut it off, Doran told the Caller Times. DPS officials said they have interviewed numerous people but haven't solved the case. Texas Crime Stoppers is now offering a reward of up to $3,000 to anyone who provides information leading to an arrest. To submit a tip, call 1-800-252-8477. Not only an absolute tragedy in terms of the brutality that was there, but an absolute tragedy and the realest of sense in that The survivors are little more than the walking dead, reduced to such by the cruelty of others, and in many ways, her sons were as equally murdered that day as she was. This is another case that it's told in language which makes it seem vague in terms of who is suspected and and how mysterious the murders could possibly be with this unidentified 5 foot 6 short, you know, stocky brown-haired man being seen hours before standing next to her patio and then this murder taking place that night and then being found hours later again by her boyfriend who was also her boss that she had just recently told they were she was going to leave him and go back to California to you know get back with her ex-husband so i think that the man before the man seen before is a red herring or somebody mistaken like in the wrong place at the wrong time maybe someone um who was who was even sent just to go looking at the house to report back and tell what they seen that happens i know that sounds weird in the world of adults and everything like that but that does happen you pay somebody as little as maybe 20 or 40 dollars just to go over to someone's house spend a couple of hours or moments outside the house you know making sure hey is anyone home just come back over here because you don't want to be seen in front of their house say like yeah you're the ex-husband you're the boyfriend or something like that who's the ex-boyfriend you don't want to be seen walking up and down the street you don't want to be seen driving up and down a street with a car that people can recognize 
but you know a guy, maybe, because like, this guy was the manager, her boss at a restaurant, so this guy has connections, he has the ability to network and get people to do stuff for him and stuff, pay people, he's got money, and I say, a little bit of money to pay people, it doesn't take much, I say, hey, here's 20 bucks, go up to that house, you know, look inside the windows and tell me if they're home, you know, shit like that, and it's suspicious, because if you're a neighbor, you're looking, you're like, yeah, I saw somebody come up, and he looked through the window, and he looked like this little Mexican guy, and then that night, the woman gets killed, because, um, you know, maybe his job was to check the door, and if it was unlocked, you know, you know, open it or something like that, you know, break a window, oh, it's like open a window or something like that, so he could come in, and, but, yeah, it would be suspicious if you were like, oh, yeah, her ex-boyfriend was outside the house, you know, looking in the windows six, like, the day before she was murdered, and then came in and was the first one to find her, that's too convenient, that's too, but if you have this other guy, that's when you can start getting confusion and stuff. But it does sound like the initial suspect was O'Connor, was Connor, was Stephen Connor, her boss, who, if he was the boss of the gym, um, you know, that's one thing and everything like that. Like, that's, uh, but I think he was the boss of the Greyhound restaurant. And if he's the boss of a Greyhound restaurant, that means he's probably involved with organized crime. Uh, that racetrack is actually pretty fucking weird and cool. I've been to it a lot. Um, oddly enough, um, as a taxi cab driver and shit, just kind of like uh, checking it out and, and using it as like a base of operations because it's got a bathroom and stuff like that. It doesn't really do the racetracks anymore, but it's got a bar and stuff, so it's pretty neat. Um, but yeah, it's this huge territory. But I can imagine back in its old days, it was just super prime real estate. But yeah. Um, these things fucking, these things don't happen very often in Corpus Christi. And as you can tell, the cases are decades apart, but they all seem to be old, um, but unsolved. And I think it's unsolved because these people have connections and that there is a corruption in town, just like how the Gillette murders are unsolved after decades, very mysteriously. And, and are so cruel and brutal and they happened in such, you know, nice neighborhoods and, and really these, these things are all punctuated by the fact that these are fairly well-to-do fairly successful people and I'm sure that there are dozens and dozens and dozens more unsolved crimes that happen to the salt of the earth, the common person um, the lower classes, the regular working classes of Corpus Christi, of which I am one and of which I know very intimately. People with uh, out educations, without prestige, people without really what you would call, you know, hopes, dreams, or success, but whose lives are as equal as everyone else's and who are as, hu- as humanity is, is as equal as everyone else's. You know, people's lives fucking matter. Everyone's lives matter. All lives matter. But these people get notoriety in the cold cases. The reason why I'm talking about them now is because they're beautiful people, quote-unquote. The beautiful people. The successful people. The people who are Corpus Christi, you know, who are the embodiment of the the optimism and the success that Corpus Christi provides. Um, Having been brought so brutally to an end. Having been brought so, so violently to a fucking end. Um, slaughtered, even. Either over money, over love, over rejection, over 
crime of passion or sexual sadistic, you know, psychopathy. All of them are unsolved. And all of them are cold cases from Corpus Christi. Thank you very much for listening to this presentation, this episode of Beyond Top Secret Texan, this broadcast. Iron sharpens iron, a friend sharpens a friend. Thank you all very much. God bless you and your families. Remember to support on social media. Remember to like on Twitter. Remember to like via Instagram. Remember to like through Linktree slash Beyond Top Secret Texan to find the links to all those and all the active channels and stuff. And, of course, um, give this podcast, uh, you know, a rating, five stars. Give it a review. You know, read all the reviews by on, on the first of the uh, New Year's and all that. This is a special. Um, love reading hate mail, love reading love mail, all that stuff like that. Love letters, hate mail, love letters, all that. And um, definitely can use the five stars. So get on that free to listen to. Hundreds of episodes are free. And we're rebroadcasting a lot as bonus episodes. And uh, definitely we do appreciate you just hopping on and giving it a listen. Podpage.com slash beyond top secret texan is the website. God bless you and your families. Peace out.